Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast by Worthy. I'm Jennifer Butler, and I'm your host. When you sell a piece of jewelry, you can't control how much it's worth, but you can make sure that you're selling smart with a team of experts and advocates behind you at Worthy. Your engagement ring can be a financial asset that allows you to embrace a new and fulfilling life after divorce. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. The end of a relationship can be devastating for all that are involved. Couples may go their separate ways, yet they may still carry a great deal of pain, confusion, and anger in their hearts. Often, individuals will seek out therapy for themselves on their own, but what if a separating couple could seek out therapy together? Might there be a greater opportunity for each individual to heal more deeply and move forward with more love in their hearts? Dr. Sarah Gundel is here today to talk to us about her pioneered treatment for couples called breakup therapy. Dr. Sarah Gundel is the clinical co-director of Octave, an innovative behavioral health clinic which offers therapy, groups, classes, and coaching. She holds a doctorate in clinical psychology, a master's degree in international affairs, and is highly dedicated to her work around trauma and international mental health. We are so grateful to have you here, Sarah. Thank you so much. I am excited to have this conversation for our listeners. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. So I guess let's start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So I've been seeing couples for a long time. I really love doing couples work. And what got me interested in this was um, that sometimes I would see a couple and they would decide to break up. And that was the point that they would leave treatment. Um, But often one of the people would decide to stay in treatment after that. And what I saw was that often the questions they were struggling with were about why it ended, accepting their part in it, their responsibility, trying to kind of create a story and a map for understanding what went wrong. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel that it would be more efficient to do in the moment rather than later and also collaboratively rather than individually. So just as an experiment, I had worked with one couple and I and I asked them, you know, I, I know you're breaking up and that decision has been made, but would you be willing to stay for a few sessions to just talk about what happened and try to organize this into more of a coherent story? And happily they agreed. And it turned out to be just this really moving, interesting, collaborative process where where they created really a story that they each contributed to about what happened in the breakup. And I realized this felt like really different work than the couples therapy, which had been focused on whether or not they were going to stay together as a couple. And so I sort of started thinking about this and and thinking, you know, this feels like a different piece of work. And I wonder if other couples could benefit from this as well. Yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful, really. I mean, because couples therapy, it's it it sounds like you know, you're, you're in there, you're working, you're excavating, there's a lot of nitty gritty. And I'm sure you do some of that in kind of developing this story. But it just sounds like, like such beautiful and powerful work to come up with this collaborative narrative. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something about the narrative piece that is so helpful for couples, um, and also efficient, because I think it helps people kind of shed the feelings of victim or victimizer and paves the way for the more essential work of being sad and letting go. Mm. You know, I think the stories 
we tell ourselves in the end are how we lead our lives. And so if we have a story to kind of cling to and understand and organize our life with, it kind of can help us file it away better. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of when I was going through my divorce. And I think a pivotal moment was when I finally let go of my story. And I finally said, you know, everyone has their story. It's just details. That's not what matters. At the end of the day, it's how I feel and how I heal. So the fact that you, you know, you help couples get there in this, this way together and more quickly is really powerful work. So what got you interested in doing this type of work? I find doing couples work to be fascinating and always really interesting. Um, the breakup therapy, when I did this with the initial couple, I realized, you know, this feels different. This feels like it helped them be able to move away from their anger. Um, and maybe there's something here that's an opportunity. So I think, you know, similar to a breakup, it can feel like a tragedy, but it can also, it's a really exciting time of opportunity and change. Um, essentially involved with breakups are grief. And I think in order to survive the early stages of a breakup, you have to make peace with your sorrow. And our natural inclination, I think all of our natural inclination is, um, is when we're suffering to press the fast forward button and kind of get out of that experience as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. What I've found is that um, bucking up against what you're feeling sometimes will do the opposite um, and backfire and make you feel worse than you already do. So I think there's a lot of valuable lessons for us to learn at this juncture and I've sort of organized it in two ways that um, I see couples together to do four to six sessions post the decision to break up. And then I also do individual uh, four session group for individuals. You know, I think there's just a lot of lessons to be learned at this juncture. And if, and you know, particularly with the couples who are ready to do that work, I think it's very hard work, but the couples that are able to do it, I think they really are able to leave with a sense of having grown. Right. You know, a piece that I think is really important is that we tend to focus um, our breakup on all the pain at the end, but relationships always have a beginning and a middle and an end. You know, it's sort of creating this coherent story is not just about how tragic the end was, but what we each contributed, you know, accepting our own part in the narrative and, you know, what the story was about falling in love, where you were at that time, whether you were young, whether you were working out some struggles with a parent, you know, what those failures were about and how you each contributed to them and how the breakup happened over time. And I think that's really important because often people kind of get stuck in this sort of victim or victimizer or shame spiral that doesn't really feel very powerful in the end. In the end, it really is important to feel ownership of your own feelings and your own story. Yeah, it doesn't really move you forward. But once you take ownership of your own story and your own way of showing up, you empower yourself to make changes and then move forward in a more empowered way in whatever direction that is. So Do you want to share maybe a case study or just an example of what breakup therapy with you would look like? Sure. Um, So, you know, I think I can give you a little um, a little taste of some of the couples I've worked with. And part of creating this story, it really is almost like horse trading. Like we literally create an actual story. Um, We end up writing it out. I have them both sign it. And, it. and we sometimes come up with a visual to represent what the relationship was about. So one couple I saw both had very complex trauma histories. Um, and, you know, while the end resulted in infidelity, when we were able to do this work, they were able to acknowledge the collective toll on their psyches that the trauma had 
taken for both of them separately. And I think being able to look at how traumatic it was to be sitting with all this trauma, nothing to do with the couple, but, but everything to do with their collective past and understanding the weight of that, they were able to shift the blame from the infidelity and focusing just on that to how each of their trauma histories had contributed. We sort of came up with a visual in the end of they had tried and tried and tried, and in the end, they really had just run out of runway, and they were exhausted individually, and so they couldn't contribute anymore to the relationship. There was almost this sort of sigh of relief in the room, like there's another way to explain what happened here. It's not just that he cheated on me. It's not just that I'm not lovable. It's that we were trying so hard, and in the end, we couldn't try anymore. There was another couple who had gotten married when they were really young, and, you know, they had different expectations of what a relationship would look like, obviously at age, you know, 22, then in their 40s. And being able to articulate what those expectations were and accept that maybe they just weren't on the same page anymore about what they wanted their relationship to be. Again, it's sort of a non-judgmental reframing. And they ended up coming up with a visual of a bridge. They just couldn't cross mm. it anymore but they chose to kind of look at the bridge and hold hands. And they wrote this actually quite beautiful description of what it felt like to hold hands and see the bridge and know that they just didn't want to cross it anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is such moving work to help people get there because it really is difficult. It's so hard to get past our own emotions of feeling hurt and shame and vulnerability. And it's so brave, I think, of these couples to, to try to do this work. Those stories, I mean, they're moving because it really, what I hear is you're opening a gateway for not only them to stand in a different perspective than they would if they were in this uh, framework of victimization, but there's this portal for compassion and for love. You know, I think when people get divorced, they sort of think of the relationship as over and instead, what it sounds like is you're able to show them that there can still be, you know, they're still in relationship, there can still be compassion, there can still be love, it's just shifted. Yeah, and maybe it's not just shifted between the two of them, but I think breakups are opportunities in that they can prompt shifts in your own identity and mm-hmm. how you see yourself in relationship to the world. Yeah. If you're just focused on all the hurt at the end, you're kind of neglecting this opportunity to think about that emotional pain can be motivating and can sort of help you examine aspects of your life that might not happen when things are going well. Right. You know, sometimes um, people's loneliness supersedes their willingness to change and unresolved loss can make you really hurt and afraid. But it's also these sort of pivotal moments where you can step out of yourself and say, you know, there's actually something here that I have been hiding behind, or there's actually something here that I haven't looked at. And I've been focusing in on what they did wrong, but maybe there's something that I need to look at as well. Right. Okay. So then what are the areas of focus when you're working with couples? So I sort of expanded on the work I do with couples to be also the areas of focus I do with individuals and group. Um, So the topics are, uh, the first session is um, looking at breakups as opportunities. Uh, The second session is links to the past where we create a relationship inventory. Um, the third part, and this usually takes a few sessions, is creating a narrative of what went wrong in the relationship. And this is the part where we actually create a story and write it down and do some horse trading between 
what people will accept, what they won't accept, but collaborating on a story that they'll both accept. And then the fourth topic is self-compassion and how to build that um, into your life more. And so the opportunities piece is that you kind of explain that. I don't want to guess. <laughs> so the opportunity, I think, is is being able to think about how you make sense of, of your life struggles and finding a way of meaning, of connecting events and experiences in a relationship that makes sense to you. And also, you know, I find that um, like trauma work, you know, people can be ruminating about something like, why did they do this? Why did they do this differently? Why did they fall out of love? Why did they cheat on me? And it can sort of be this feedback loop that goes over and over and over. And I found that creating a narrative is a way of kind of sidestepping that rumination. It's sort of saying, okay, here's a story that we both can collaborate on, we both can agree on, or in the individual work, it's a story that we can create and live with. And that can be a way of, of getting out of that spin cycle. I think also it's an opportunity to look at unresolved loss. You know, in one couple, um, they had come because of the power differential between them, and then ultimately they decided to break up. Um, but we spent a lot of time thinking about the dependency issues. Um, one person was sort of wholly dependent financially on the other and how that played out in the relationship. And it ended up being an opportunity in the way that they were both able to think about how their family of origin had contributed to that dynamic. Mm. One man had seen his mother kind of feeling very resentful and bitter and afraid of working outside the home, even though she was quite talented and had always wanted to and wasn't really happy working um, as a stay-at-home mom and had taken on that role in this sort of identification. And once he was able to track that and think about his anger with his mom and his and his fears, his, his partner was really able to have compassion for that and understand why there was so much that was fraught for him about dependency. So I think, you know, there breakups are opportunities and they're always about unresolved loss. There's always links to the past. We're always trying to work something out from the past that we haven't figured out and sort of repeating that cycle. And intimacy um, in relationships, I think, is the, the ground that we repeat it in. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's sort of where we practice everything, right? It's where we practice our wounds. It's where we practice our successes. It's, it's where we practice with one another. So I love that you're creating this opportunity to, for people not only to hear them heal themselves, but really to heal their, their family of origin, whether it's generations of the past or generations in the future. Exactly. Yeah. I think we can look at intimacy without thinking about what patterns we learn from our significant parents and our role models and what our vulnerabilities are as a result. And I think reframing a breakup or a divorce, um, it's always can be a catalyst to know yourself better and heal mm-hmm. some of your wounds yeah. and maybe make changes in your life. When people are afraid of being hurt, their life becomes narrower. But when you can face that hurt head on, there are avenues that become possible. Yeah, very powerful. We're going to take a short break and we will be back with more from Dr. Sarah Gundel. When I decided to sell my jewelry after my divorce, the most important thing to me was finding a company that I could trust and one that would also advocate for me. I found this and so much more at Worthy. Their expert staff immediately put me at ease and helped me to get the best price possible for my jewelry. 
your engagement ring can be a symbol of your freedom, your journey, and the choices you have made to live your life on your terms and create the future you desire. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. We're back and we are discussing breakup therapy. And Sarah's been telling us about the four areas of focus in her work around couples who are deciding to separate and part ways. And what I would love for you to talk to us about now is really what are the strategies or or sort of the homework that you use throughout the process for each area of focus with the couples? So the first session is talking about breakups or opportunities and that this can be a time of, of great change. Um, so what I have people do in session one, both in the groups and also in the couples work is create a relationship inventory. Is what I'm calling it. What this is, is a list of things that I'm asking you to list down. So for instance, four positive things about the relationship you'll miss, four positive qualities of your ex, four special things your ex did for you. And then four negative things, four negative qualities, um, four positive qualities of your relationship that turn negative over time, four early warning signs. There's sort of a whole long list of, right. of things that I'm creating them to think about um, to kind of fill in some of the gaps of, of a kind of one-dimensional story that people often think about why they broke up. One of the things is four issues that stem from your own issues or behavior, four things left unsaid, mm. and ultimately them to track is some of the patterns there. So looking at the positive and negative traits you've listed, is there a pattern with past partners that you can pinpoint? Is some of this familiar to past breakups, past relationships? And then the other main thing that I want them to create in this inventory is a list of the negative traits you have seen drawn to over time. I'm curious, as you're just saying that, do you find that people have an easier time remembering the the positives or the negatives in their partner so much easier i think to focus on the negative sometimes people will say you know i don't i can't list any positive qualities and then we sort of drill down into well what do you think is getting in the way right this came from someone who'd been married for 24 years and had four beautiful children so i think you know we all have our internal blocks of places that we don't want to go because it's scary and vulnerable to think about our part in it or what you're giving up. You know, right. Because I think when you're thinking about the positive things and the positive qualities of your ex, but also things that you might have learned and absorbed through the relationship, you, you can't avoid the, the feeling of loss. And that's painful. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So then you move into links to the past, correct? So, Thinking about this, I ask questions like, what do you think a relationship between your ex-partner's most significant parent and your most significant parent would look like? Ah. Is your relationship anything like that imaginary relationship? I ask questions, um, and these are really open-ended questions intentionally. How did your family of origin affect the end of your relationship? Um, How did your family react to anger, love, fear, guilt, rejection, intimacy, and conflict? And then there's some more questions about how you bonded emotionally with your parents. Did you develop good self-worth in your childhood? Is your relationship with your ex anything like the relationship with one or both of your parents? 
And the goal here is to kind of excavate the past a little bit, try to understand that maybe there are some things that we're working out in ourselves that might not be obviously playing out in our intimate relationships, but that somewhere deep down they are. You know, I think the unconscious is a very powerful thing and can play out in ways that are deceptive. Yeah, I love the way that you're guiding people to consciously dig, as you said, excavate, you know, just questions that I don't, you don't know to ask yourself, but they're so important. Yeah. Some of the work that I give from that um, session is thinking of your significant parent. And what I mean by that is the parent that you had the kind of biggest bond or attachment or issues with. Mm usually one significant parent. Can you think of times you wanted your parent to be something they weren't? And again, these are sort of open-ended questions just to kind of get yourself thinking about, hmm, what am I not addressing here? Yeah. Um, four negative aspects of the, this relationship. Can you remember a time you tried to please your parent and failed? List four times you rebelled in what your parents' reaction were, was. List four times that you remember were nice or special. Um, did you hope this parent would change eventually? It's sort of like a list of questions in this vein. Some of the questions are more, um, you know, sometimes there are more extreme cases. Like one of the questions is, did your parent have two extreme personalities? Right. So sometimes it's clear that there was an abusive parent. Um, other times I think, you know, it's not so clear. Like the parents were certainly not abusive, but there were still patterns of intimacy that were developed that weren't remotely abusive, but that did, did shape how you think about what's possible and model for you what vulnerability is and what collaboration is. Right. Because I mean, at the end of the day, we're little kids when we're growing up, really trying to make sense of, th- of things. And sometimes that story that we use to make sense of things just doesn't, it's just not true. And it doesn't work in adulthood. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's sometimes more subtle things like, you know, maybe you thought your parent was perfect. Um, you know, my warning signs come up when someone says their parents were perfect and there was no problems because, of course, nothing is perfect. Right. Um, <laughs> so I'm always sort of thinking about, okay, like, what did you not see? Like, what was the model of conflict in your home? Yeah. You know, I think narcissism is not just black and white, but more on a scale. So were there aspects of your parent that um, that were sort of narcissistic, meaning were you kind of either perfect in their eyes or devalued? And are you doing that with your partner or seeking out a partner who does that with you? You know, I think this can get complicated, but just sort of excavating some of these questions is a safe way of of just raising these topics and um, and being curious about some of the links to the past. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I imagine that helps you move them into the next step, which is creating that narrative. Yeah, I think often people spend a lot of time thinking about the negative aspects of their ex or marriage. Um, And unfortunately, I think um, if you do that, you're unconsciously setting yourself up for more of the same negative feelings and experiences. Um, You know, I think our stories can sabotage us. Sometimes people get addicted to the victim loop, like they kind of repeat their story often to people they don't even know or they're holding on to the past and lamenting past decisions. Or another um, storyline that I see often is people arguing with reality. When they wish things were different than they are, their partner should be acting differently, this shouldn't be so hard, should have done this, that. You know, I think creating a narrative pins us down to recognize our own part in the breakup and have a certain structure for how it has to be, meaning it has to include the beginning, middle, and end. Again, 
thing that in the group um, people do individually, but in the couples therapy, this is more a couple couple sessions where they have to each contribute and talk about this. And this is sort of the hardest part of the work. Other thing is three things you wish your ex had done differently. Um, three ways you're grateful for what the relationship taught you and three ways you would like your relationship to be different in the future. So the story creates all those elements. And then, like you said at the beginning, it's something they do together and they even sign off on. Eventually when we finish, um, you know, sometimes it takes one session, sometimes three sessions with the couples and then this is homework um, for the group. I have them write it down and sign it. You know, yeah. there's something formal about having it be agreed upon because there's so much, there's so many rituals in, in divorce and breakups um, that don't include anything that's collaborative or meaningful about what the relationship gave you. And so I think this can be a very different way of approaching it. And so I sort of wanted to make it a bit more formal. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like a, a generative ritual for the couple to sort of move forward with. It's very beautiful. So, um, and there's a bunch of questions I have to ask people as they write their narrative. So there's sort of two pages. Um, some of them were, were you and your partner friends? Did you confide in each other? Um, did you agree on methods for solving problems? You know, sometimes these people really need these questions and there's actually two pages of them um, because they're sort of wed to their storyline of either being you know, this person is horrible or everything was perfect and I just want the relationship back. Um, So asking questions like, did you trust each other? Was the relationship important enough for you to make some personal sacrifices? How has it opened my heart to be in this um, breakup process? What do I know about myself that I didn't know before? You know, again, like I think getting curious sometimes is just about breaking things down a little bit because breakups, I think, are a little bit like being in a snow globe and you can't really see anything clearly. And so the goal of asking these questions is just to promote a bit of mindfulness and a sort of settling down of that snow globe so that you can see your part a bit more clearly. That's great. And thank you for sharing those questions. So self-compassion. So in the beginning, I asked people to rate themselves on a scale of how self-compassionate are you and how non-compassionate are you. So some of the questions are trying to be understanding and patient towards those aspects of my personality I don't like. When something painful happens, I try to take a balanced view of the situation. When I'm going through a very hard time, I give myself the caring and tenderness I need. When something upsets me, I try to keep my emotions in balance. And when I feel inadequate in some way, I try to remind myself that feelings of inadequacy are shared by most people. So, you know, the goal of this, and then I have um, five items for how non-compassionate you are. And I think the goal of this is to try to um, shake people up a little bit because they might think, you know, I'm fine. Like, I I, I don't think I did anything wrong. I'm, I'm compassionate enough. But when you really break it down into thinking about how to be understanding and patient towards yourself, people can see that usually their ratings for how compassionate you are and how non-compassionate you are are really pretty off. Some of the non-compassionate items are, um, I fail at something important to me, I become consumed by feelings of inadequacy. When I'm feeling down, I tend to feel like most other people are happier than I am. Um, When I'm feeling down, I tend to obsess and fixate on everything that's wrong. It's sort of in that vein. Yeah, because I think what it reflects is the way we are compassionate to ourselves will really, you know, mirror how we are compassionate to the people around us, especially our loved ones. I think the opposite of self-kindness is self-judgment and blame. And so when you accept the fact that you aren't perfect and when things go wrong, you can soothe yourself. 
And I think um, giving yourself understanding can help you feel worthy of acceptance and caring from others. You can use this experience to build more self-compassion, build more understanding. You will probably be able to find that much more in your next relationship. Absolutely. So I love that you provided all those questions because anyone listening, you know, these are great questions to just really start diving into for yourself and just start really getting curious about your own past and your own relationship. I know you said too, that there's exercises that you offer to help people through this as well. So one of the things I do in connection to the last question is list 10 things that you like about yourself. And sometimes this can be a really big challenge for people. They kind of come up with a few and they're like, yeah, there's nothing else I like about myself. Some of the other exercises are, um, the first one is the top 15 strategies for surviving a relationship breakup. And these include things like not fighting your feelings, um, discussing your feelings, writing out your thoughts and feelings, trying to not personalize the loss. And then basic self-care items like getting into routine, trying to avoid social media, not relying on your ex for support, avoiding unhealthy coping strategies. They're really sort of basic things for remembering how to survive on your own. And then another thing that I really encourage people to do is to write in their journal. For some people, this works really well. And for others, they don't. But But I found that for everyone, it's helpful to have a prompt. Um, So I include um, one of the exercises is 10 journal prompts for the breakup process. And these are not in any order, but they're just, um, you know, one sentence that can sort of help people organize their thoughts or give them a focus. For example, describing the time you were disappointed by your ex. Or what are you looking for in your next partner? When did you first realize you were headed for the breakup? Powerful questions. Another exercise is self-compassion statements. Um, This is something that I think is usually more towards the end of the work. Um, Some of the examples, um, and I encourage people to develop their own, are I'm having a really hard time right now, and that's okay. Lots of people in my position would feel the same way. Or it's no wonder I'm so tough on myself given my family background. Mm. Organizing some of the self-compassion work into um, bite-sized morsels that you can hold on to. Yeah, it's almost like teaching them how to self-soothe or self-mentor instead of looking outside themselves for that. Another one, which again, I think this is more towards the end, but um, thinking about new perspectives on your ex's behavior. So I have a chart, and at the top is annoying, hurtful behavior, your standard explanation, which isn't necessarily wrong, and I think that's important, and then an alternative explanation that might be less hurtful. Um, Another one is um, cultivating a willingness to move forward. So rating yourself on how stuck you feel on a scale of one to 10. I often use scales. I'm a big fan of scales. (laughs) Um, But write down the emotions you're experiencing that may be keeping you stuck. For example, fear keeps some people from moving forward or anger might prevent growth. Are there any benefits to being stuck emotionally? In other words, if you're stuck in the style of of ruminating about um, how unjust the situation is, is there any benefit to you? Like, do you get to escape vulnerability? Do you get to, is there any secondary gain? Um, you know, even though it, you might be aware of being stuck, is there anything else that, that you're getting from it? And what do you stand to gain if you move forward toward becoming unstuck and healing emotionally? That's a powerful one because I think that we sometimes don't look at that. We don't really see, you know, what are we getting from this? How are we benefiting from what we seem like we don't really want in our lives, but yet we really are getting something from it. 
Another exercise is about letting go and working toward acceptance. Um, so focusing on one question that seems to defy explanation and might cause rumination and intrusive thoughts. So I ask people to select a question that's distressing um, and that they've tried and failed to answer. The process is writing down the distressing question, listing the emotions that come up when you think about this question, and what have you done in the past when these emotions surfaced? So what skills can you utilize to decrease your resistance to these emotions and really coming up with a plan? And this is done, you know, I address the homework each session in the group. And so when we talk about this, we come up with collaboratively a plan that will help you let go and accept the emotions prompted by the question. Um, for example, we'll come up with strategies related to mindfulness, using mindfulness apps, self-compassion or acceptance. Sometimes it also can be helpful to develop a ritual um, to help you let go of these troubling questions. So you know, people have come up with various rituals, and I'd really encourage that, whether it's something concrete, like collecting belongings and, you know, and, and talking about them together, or ritually you know, burning something. Um, whatever people come up with, um, I'd encourage them to kind of ritualize it. Yeah. And I think just being in action too, right. That probably, you know, helps to really empower people and, and, and ground people in, in what they're learning. So, I mean, it's so powerful. And, and I, I love that you really just gave our audience so much that they can do, you know, they can really take the time to be curious about themselves, ask themselves these questions and start diving in to their own selves, their own relationships. What do you hope that couples and individuals accomplish through breakup therapy? I sort of mentioned this in the past, but the way that I think about um, troubling emotions is that it's sort of like we all have kind of a desk that we're sitting at. And every time you sit at the desk, you come across something disturbing, like a death notice when you're trying to go pay a bill or put a stamp on something, it's going to be very disturbing and it's going to keep coming back. So the goal of building more self-compassion and internal locus of control and narrative is really to understand this, put it in a coherent uh, frame and follow it away in a kind of metaphorical filing cabinet. And in that way, you always have access to it. You can always find it. It's not going anywhere, but it's also not right there weighing on you all the time. And I think when, when you don't sit with that weight, you're open to greater possibilities. Um, you can accept that you can help shed the role of victim or victimizer, and it can pave the way um, for more essential ways of being. And it can also help you figure out what you want next and whether this next chapter is actually exciting and possibilities inherent in there are personally meaningful to you. I love your metaphor about filing it away and accessing it when you need to, because I think sometimes we, we file it away as a way to sort of ignore it, but that's so not what you're saying. You're really saying like work through it, do what you need to do, create a file for it and use it, use that file. But not have it sort of falling over everywhere into your life. I like the file cabinet metaphor because I'm guilty of this too, of just sort of throwing stuff in the file cabinet without organizing it. And then if you really do need to be able to find this again, particularly co-parenting, something that you're going to reach for over and over again. 
So being able to create the narrative and create the story and think about the possibilities is metaphorically a way of labeling it, creating a whole story, putting it neatly into a file. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. I mean, such a wealth of of inspiration. And how can anyone who's listening follow up with you after today? First of all, thank you so much. It was really fun and helped. Um, I really loved being able to talk about this. I'm really excited about it and it's really meaningful work for me. So I'm always happy to talk about it. Um, I am running a group um, at Octave in Midtown Manhattan. And so it will be a four session group and it will be a revolving group. So they'll happen one after the other. So anybody could contact me or Octave to join that group. And I'm also doing couples therapy um, at Octave. And is there a website? How How's the best way for people to reach you? We have a website and it lists all of our groups as well as this one. It's at findoctave.com. Find, O-C-T-A-V-E.com. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And I know how passionate you are about this. It really is groundbreaking work. Thank you. And it's such a pleasure to speak to you too, Jennifer. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you, so email us at podcastworthy.com with any questions or ideas that you may have. We look forward to hearing from you.